0: what are we talking about you play to win the game you don't play to just play come after me i'm
1: a man i'm for you can't wait
2: good morning and welcome it is coffee and sports it is the morning show here on sports empire network thank you so much for making us part of your morning routine whether it's on facebook or over on youtube or maybe you're watching us live on roku tv right now either way we are happy that you are here i am chris and of course that is mo mo how are you this morning sir
1: doing well on a hump day ready ready to go man just really excited uh Watched two great NBA games last night, so just excited to get into the show.
2: Speaking of NBA Mo, he's back. John ja yes, he Morant is. returned to the NBA last night, and it was not a quiet return. It was a 34-point game-winning basket performance by the young man. Remember, Mo, oftentimes the uh the setback is uh it's not as bad as the comeback, right? I mean, the comeback was pretty great last night for John Morant. I know yeah. it's only step one. Uh, obviously, he he needs to make sure that he kind of stays on the up and up and doesn't make any more, I'll call it foolish decisions and hopes that uh, our, our, our talk about him is strictly basketball related. But, Mo, if you are the, the Memphis Grizzlies this morning, how are you feeling after Jaw's return last night?
1: Oh, I think they're excited. They're hopeful. With John Morant back in the building, he energizes the whole building, energizes the locker room. They play with more energy. His ability to relentlessly attack the rim initiates offense for them in different ways. John Morant's going to get to the free throw line 10 to 12 times a game. His attacks – make Jaron Jackson more of a finisher, which means he's going to get to the free throw line more. Last night, I believe they combined for 27 free throw attempts alone, just between the two of them. So John Morant instantly generates offense for himself and others, and his ability to operate in short spaces, it's very unique.
2: Mo, also last night, the Golden State Warriors won their third game in a row. They are creeping back towards the 500 mark. Steph Curry is playing great basketball right now. And, Mo, I think it's fair to say this Golden State Warriors team is going to go the way that Steph Curry goes. Now, obviously, he isn't going to be able to do what he's done the last three games every night of the season. We know that's not sustainable for anyone, uh, much less someone who is in their mid-30s like Steph is. But... Just kind of taking a look at the Warriors, which we'll call them a 500 team. They're one game below 500 right now. Sure. but let's just say they're they're a 500 club and they're going to kind of be around there for the next few weeks. What is the actual ceiling for this team, assuming they make no moves, assuming that Draymond comes back in, you know, two or three weeks and he just kind of keeps his nose clean and, and he's the normal Draymond production-wise on the court. I know that Clay's been getting hot the last four or five games. Let's say that he's a little less than that uh the rest of the season. What is a realistic expectation for the Warriors assuming they don't make a big
1: trade? If they don't make any big moves and this is the roster they go with going forward, I think the a realistic expectation is We could say eighth seed, but basically the eighth seed means play in. So I I think they're a play-in team. If they don't make any any huge moves or trades, they're a play-in team. They're they're not very good. They just they just not a very good basketball team. Um you have to look at them and it, it happens, right? Dynasties end. Guys get older, you draft young guys, they don't pan out to be what you thought they would be. Um they're they're not they're just not what they were. It happens. It comes to an end. I think Steph is great, and we talked about this before, how you want to play out and extend his his peak, right? While he's in his prime. Steph is on a different timeline. LeBron is on a different timeline. They're still thinking about championships. This team is not a championship contender. i I think they're a playoff contender, and I mean contender in the sense they have a shot to get into the playoffs. but this is not a team that's gonna make a deep playoff run the way the roster is constructed.
2: Well, we're almost 30 games into the NBA season. This is the time where we kind of look at things and we we start to accept what is a truth and what may not be a truth. And you look at a team like the Phoenix Suns and coming into the season, the conversation with the Suns was they're the ones, right? They're the ones that are going to compete to knock Denver off. That's going to be Denver's biggest challenge. And if they get into the playoffs and they're healthy, maybe. Maybe. We don't know. We, we don't know what's going to happen, you know, in the summer. But right now I'm looking at the Phoenix Suns, 14 and 13, Mo. They are a 500 basketball team, 27 games in, barely a playing team right now. If you're a Suns fan, are you, are you sitting here saying, listen, we, we've barely had any games this season where our big three is all played together. We're dealing with some injury stuff right now. It is what it is. As long as we get into the playoffs, let's just not not let's not be in the playing. No one wants to do that. But as long as we're we're somewhere in the top six, it doesn't matter. We're gonna make noise come playoff time. That's why this team was put together. Or Mo, are you looking at this like I don't know how many games we're gonna see where all of them actually do play together? And that's what we were kind of talking about before the season began. Was yeah, they're great, they're a great paper team but how many times are we going to see this team on paper actually on the court and almost 30 games in it's still a valid question that we're asking.
1: And what happens when Durant is the one constant and he plays throughout the regular season and he's playing 38, 39 minutes, you know, what happens later in the year, he's going to be the guy that misses 25, 28 games. But let's say that they all do get healthy and they're not a playing team. They're a sixth seed. I give them a puncher's chance, but I don't think they're a legit title contender. They don't defend. I know Frank Vogel has a reputation as a defensive coach, but you didn't put together a defensive basketball team. And they, they just don't defend. And your three best players are not good defenders. This version of Ke- Kevin Durant, as a weak side defender, he can he can defend. But he can't guard in space. Booker can't guard in space. Uh, Bradley Bill never guarded anybody anyway. So I and, and and Nurkic, who's maybe your fourth best player, not a good defender. They're not built to win. They're built to entertain you, and and that's what they'll do. Like the funny thing is, we were just talking about the Warriors. You know, you know who I think the Warriors could beat in a series? They could beat they could beat Phoenix. They would beat Phoenix, even with all that firepower. I would trust that the that Golden State would win that series.
2: The Minnesota Timberwolves, 20-5. and We talked about them a couple weeks ago. They got off to a hot start. We said, would it last? Could they keep it up? As we're approaching the 30-game mark, they are the one seed in the West. And they got a a little bit of a lead here. They got three over the Thunder, three and a half on the Nuggets. Obviously, there's plenty of season to go here, Mo. But when you look at what's happening over there in Minnesota,
1: can they stay the one seed for the long haul? I think they can. Um, what they've done is they've basically said what we already knew. This is Ant's team. And and Carl Anthony Towns is the second option, right? And Rudy Gobert has realized something that we all knew. Like, if you stay in your lane and you defend and you rebound and you don't worry about offense, they, this team right now is connected. You've got Jaden McDaniels. Nas Reed is a big piece. People don't realize that he go bear and towns all split minutes, but when Nas Reed's on the floor, they don't lose production. They have they actually have two bigs who shoot the three at a high level and Nas Reed and Carl Anthony Towns. So their floor spacing is excellent. It also gives at more driving lanes. And then you've got Mike Conley, who looked like he's about five or six years younger. So right now I'm looking at this team and I think it's sustainable if I'm if I'm nitpicking. I would, I would say they might want to go out and get another backup point guard or get another shooter just to add to that roster. But right now, they defend at a high level. They've got a closer, and their floor spacing is excellent.
2: And if you look over in the east, it's kind of shaping out the way we thought it was going to in the preseason. Celtics, Bucks, Sixers are your top three right now. The Magic have been surprising to some. Very They've good. been a fun and entertaining team to watch. They currently sit in the four spot. And then there's a little separation back to the rest of the pack. Knicks, Cavs, Heat, Pacers. If it's not one of those top three, if it's not the Celtics, the Bucks, or the 76ers, is it the Magic that presents the biggest threat to one of those three? Or is it going to be a team like the Knicks or the Cavs or the Heat if they can make a move this season and add some depth to their team, who is the biggest threat in the East outside of the Celtics, the Bucks, and the 76ers?
1: I would I want to say the Cavaliers, but I actually think that they they've got some issues when you look at their roster construction. So I, I would say if the Knicks make a move, it could be the Knicks. And I would never, and I mean never sleep on the Miami Heat because Pat Riley is that guy. Pat Riley is the master of coming up with something. Um, out of nowhere so I I do think Miami seems to always find a way to be relevant just when you want to write them off but when you get so when you get past those top three teams I would look at Miami or New York I don't think Orlando as as impressive as they've been and they do defend they defend at a high level but the, the interesting thing is they play I would say they play playoff style defense but when you do that through the regular season you can burn out I don't know if that's sustainable when they get into the playoffs. And I don't think they have enough offense when you get into the postseason. They're a very good team. But I think once you get past Wagner, Vancaro, um, I think they need another consistent scorer. They've got balance, but I think you want to have a guy who can great create his shot when the offense isn't right. And I think that's missing on that roster right now. But I, w- I would look at the Knicks – Or Miami I just I just don't think Orlando's quite there yet but I like where they're going all right now let's take a quick break when we come back we
2: are going to have the NFL genius himself Gene from wire to wire on the show we got plenty of NFL stuff to talk about don't go anywhere it's coffee and sports it's the morning show here on sports empire network
1: Hey y'all, I'm Key and I'm Jory and tune in to Hoop Dreams and Touchdown Queens every Saturday at 5 p.m. over on Sports Empire Network and don't forget also watch us on Roku TV at Northeast Streaming Productions Uh, so tune in.
2: Welcome back it's Coffee and Sports it's the morning show here on Sports Empire Network and we are now joined by the NFL genius himself Gene from Wire to Wire. Gene how are you this morning sir?
0: I'm phenomenal. I'm phenomenal. Even after Monday, I'm still phenomenal. You know, it's funny because I feel like that me and you, Chris, we are a, we are going to be rooting very heavily for the same team this Sunday.
2: Yes, we are. <laughs> yes, we <laughs> are. Uh, before we jump into anything, every now and then I, I like to throw things. Gene and I talk. We, we talk before shows every week. I kind of give them an idea of what's going on. And then sometimes I just don't tell them things. I just like to throw things at them. That's that's what I'm going to do right now. So, Gina Mo, I want you to listen. I'm going to give you two sets of stats. I'm not going to tell you who they belong to. Okay. And then I'm going to tell you afterwards. All right. So the first set of stats is this. Uh, 98 games played. NFL player. 98 games played. Uh, zero interceptions. 87 and a half sacks. 17 forced fumbles. Five fumbles recovered. Okay. That's player one. Player two. 101 games played. So three more games. Seven interceptions, 93 and a half sacks, 26 forced fumbles, 10 fumbles recovered. Any idea who either of those players are?
0: There's one T.J. Watt. One of them
2: is T.J. Watt. That's the seven interceptions guy? Yes, it is. Who's who the uh, other guy? Is the
0: other one, Miles
2: Garrett? Yes, it is. The question is this. Those stats, if, you just look, if I just look at numbers, they all lean towards Watt. But yet, it seems like the national media narrative is that Garrett gets a little more attention as the better defensive player, potential MVP candidate, more of a disruptor. But yet, when you put their numbers side by side, and on some levels they're comparable, but Watt is just as good, and in some cases, better than Miles Garrett. So, Gene, let's start with you. Why is T.J. Watt not on the same level as far as media attention as Miles Garrett,
0: I honestly think that T.J. Watt and Miles Garrett are two of polar opposite of players. Even though they play the similar position, I know one's an outside linebacker and one's a D.N. But I think Miles Garrett is such a disruptor in the sense that he can power and bull rush, and you always have to be accountable for him. He's always coming after the passer. Whereas T.J. Watt isn't always attacking the passer. Sometimes he's dropping in the flat. That's why he has seven interceptions. Right. He's just a different player, right? I think T.J. Watt knows for the f- football is incredible. Like the way he can find where the ball is going on the field. There'd be a play. and It's funny. He lines up as right outside linebacker. There's a play to the left side of the field. It cuts cross. And all you see is T.J. Watt, who is rushing the passer, making a play i think that tj watt's a better defensive player i think that miles garrett is a better rusher of the passer and the disruptor
2: well if you're starting a team tomorrow first pick has to go to defense you taking garrett
1: or watt man that's tough yeah (laughs) i don't think you get that's tough you can't go wrong i think watt is a better all-around football player i think he can do more things so in that sense, I would take Watts. But I look—I'm I, a big Miles Garrett fan. I, in a lot of ways, and this might be blasphemy—I'm not saying he's as good, but when I watch him play at times, he does remind me of Reggie White. Um, I—I'm not—I know I, I'm not, and I, in I no am I saying. He's a—he's Reggie White. But the things that he does, his ability to just bull rush and move people uh, with that kind of speed—it reminds me of Reggie White.
2: We talked yesterday about Tommy Cutlets and the situation he got himself into. Gentlemen, don't worry. I don't know who got into his ear. Maybe he decided on his own, but he made the situation right. Uh, he went to the pizza place yesterday. He did not charge them any money. It wasn't his original $10,000 fee. It wasn't his new $20,000 fee after he won a Monday Night Football. He showed up to the pizza place. He was there for a few hours. He ate pizza with the owners. He signed autographs. And he, he made right a situation that I personally think his agent just probably screwed the pooch on. Completely. Uh, but good for Tommy Cutlets to make that situation mm-hmm. whole because Mo, like you and I said yesterday, this roller coaster ride could end soon for him. We don't know what his future is next season. He could be a giant, he could be a free agent and not get signed, he could be on someone's practice squad. We don't know. But while he has the little bit of fame that he has, good for him to not keep that look that he had going for him yesterday. So bravo to Tommy Cutlets. But Gene, let's jump to this. A.J. Brown goes off on social media yesterday. Uh, He is not happy with the the criticism that fans are throwing at him. Not necessarily him as a player, but how he's being used in the offense. He's bouncing back. And I give him a little bit of credit here because he's not just making noise. He's actually saying things. He's trying to explain to fans, like, you don't know how our offense runs. You don't know what my job is in our offense. You don't know when the ball is not being thrown to me. I actually did my job. I was out there as a decoy. I was out there doing things that I was supposed to be doing. You know, a lot of plays that are drawn up, I am the one option. But if I'm not there, yes, he's going to go somewhere else. It doesn't mean that I didn't run the right route or he wasn't looking my direction. It just means that I was covered or I was a decoy in that play. So he basically, he's telling fans to to understand football a little more before you come out here and say things like, you're not catching the ball or they're not coming to you enough or they need to go through you on offense. Gene, we know you're living through this, this three-game losing streak. We, we They made the change on defense. And we'll talk about that in a second. But let's talk about the offensive side. Do you see where A.J. Brown is coming from? Or do you think that he is part of the issue currently with the offense in Philadelphia?
0: Why can't it be both? I mean, I see exactly where he's coming from. I think he's right in a lot of the things in which he's saying. But he also brought it on himself. And he is a huge part of the problem in Philadelphia. So, like, let's start with the Minnesota game. The Philadelphia Eagles were winning this football game at the time they were about to be 3-0, or two and 2-0 and to beating Minnesota, and A.J. Brown threw a tirade on the sideline because he didn't have as much. And, and I don't care what he says to the media. It wasn't about targets. Yes, it was about targets because they weren't throwing the football in New England, and he was upset about it. And they didn't throw him the ball that much in Minnesota, and he was upset about it. It's a 100% about targets. You brought that on yourself. So now the Philadelphia Eagles fan base is watching the offense and they see Jalen Hurts forcing the ball to A.J. Brown. And in the next four games, he has 125 yards, but the offense doesn't look great. Like he goes 125 yards, four straight football games, but the offense still doesn't look great. Philadelphia fan base is not the smartest in the world, but they're not the dumbest. They know football. So when they're watching this game and they're seeing what's going on, and they're like, well, you know, it's it's very obvious. They, They made it in the game plan to get A.J. Brown the ball. Which they should. He's a great player. But the culture on that Philadelphia Eagles team right now is a lot of pointing fingers. And there's a lot of issues behind closed doors that are being mentioned now on Twitter, that are being mentioned now in interviews. And AJ Brown is at the lead of those issues. Uh, Fletcher Cox, who's one of the silent leaders on the team who doesn't speak up much, said he thinks it's a coward's move to point fingers at people. He didn't say who he was talking about, but he was saying he thinks that's a coward's move to point fingers. Even on his tirade on Twitter, he said Jalen threw a bad ball. Yeah, Yeah. Jalen did throw a bad ball. I didn't need to hear that. I knew that, right? And then last but not least, the part about A.J. Brown that bothers me the most is he loves the fan base when they're winning. He embraces it, talks about it, brags about it. But when they're losing... He cannot handle the critique and criticism that comes from it. When you get paid $23 million to be a wide receiver in the NFL, you're getting paid for two things. Now, one of them is because you're an excellent receiver. That's the obvious one. But when an organization makes an investment of $23 million into you, it also means that you need to be a leader. It also means means that you need to put on the company face when you're speaking to the media or on Twitter. If you got paid a million dollars and you were about to get cut, fine. But if you're getting paid $23 million by an organization, your job is to stand in front of the company, not behind it.
2: Did you have any issue with Jalen Hurts calling the team out a little bit Yes, uh, after the
0: game? No, he's supposed to be the leader. I think he should call the team out. He said the team's issue is commitment. I think that there is an issue with commitment. I think Brian Johnson and Sean Desai were both failures as hires as coordinators. That's what we're dealing with right now because Brian Johnson isn't the coordinator. He is the offense coordinator, but that's Nick Sirianni's offense. I watched it before. It was the first four games before he gave Shane Steichen the play calling. It's the same stinking offense. Brian Johnson was just a figurehead that they put into that role because he's friends with Jalen Hurts. Look at 2020 and you can see the exact same thing that happened with Carson Wentz. You had Frank Wright. The offense was incredible. Frank Wright got a job at Indianapolis. They brought in Carson Wentz's buddy, Press Taylor, to be their offensive coordinator. The offense slowly digressed. You had Shane Steichen. Shane Steichen did a great job at the offense. You went to the Super Bowl. Shane Steichen got hired by, oh, I don't know, the Colts. <laughs> you bring in Jalen Hurts' lifetime coach, Brian Johnson, to be his offensive coordinator. It's a problem when your coordinators do not challenge your quarterback. And that's what you're dealing with in Philadelphia. When you pay a quarterback and you hire their friend to be their offensive coordinator, you're not challenging them the way another coordinator would. Mo is, question real quick. Uh, I'm no,
2: sorry. Mo, Go ahead. No, Mo, it's all you asking. What? You no, know what,
0: everybody being so vocal,
1: Gene, do you think that your head coach should say more or should he just step back and let these guys – figured it out themselves. That's our head what coaches, I was going to ask.
0: Our head coach has dug his own grave, if we're yep. being honest, because he's, he's vocal. Like, And I, I think that you can go back to the tape when he was screaming at Chiefs fans or taunting people throughout the stadium when they're winning. And it, to be honest with you, a lot of people laughed at it and thought it was funny. I told you it was immature. I thought it was not the way to handle things. And that's not the way a leader handles business. You're not supposed to give any extra motivation to another team for what you're doing. People love beating Nick Sirianni now. They have pictures of him crying from the Super Bowl for Dallas games. They're taunting him when when they played the 49ers. People love to beat. He's taunting Pete Carroll, who is a better coach than Nick Sirianni will ever be, on the other sideline for asking for his timeout back. Are you like, come on, Nick you got to be an adult. I think Nick's a good football coach. I just think he needs to mature. And when you hire young guys like Nick Sirianni, you have to understand that there's going to be a maturity process that they have to go through. Nick's never been a head coach. Now being a head coach in the NFL level, he is being at that situation where he's at the the biggest crossroads he's, he's ever dealt with. And I think he needs to be vocal. I think he needs to get that locker room under control. But I think that he's really lost a lot of respect from a lot of the veteran respected leaders.
2: And guys, let's not forget the head coach sets the tone. They're supposed to set the tone for the team. So when Nick is out there doing, being animated and doing what he is doing and the players see that, that gives them the, all right, we can do this around here. And it's very hard for him. I would imagine if he's even trying to have this conversation to try to reel a guy back in when he can be like, but coach, you are you are practically in the crowd leaving Kansas right. City. Right. Like, how can you tell me that I can't say stuff? Like, that's a hard conversation to have if he's even trying to have that conversation. Mo, we saw the shift on defense, and it was something that Gene and other Philadelphia fans were calling for. Matt Patricia and the, the cameras were all over this. Monday night they kept showing up in the booth they kept showing Patricia on the sidelines the Monday night crew is even saying you know he's not calling plays up there in the booth so (laughs) we can call the defensive coordinator all you want we know who's talking and calling the plays right now but more importantly Mo did and I know it's going to take more than a game but did you see any huge difference from Patricia calling plays to where they were in
1: their previous
2: handful of games
1: I watched the football game, and when you watch the first half, and I'm not talking about the offense, but, yeah, just defensively, I thought they played really well. And late in the game, the struggles that they've had before with third down, that seemed to rear its hair, hair more. And I'm not saying, like you said, he's going to need more than one game. So I, I, I think it's still a good move to go to him. They just had some struggles. And you can you can look at the team, and I think we talked about this the other day, this is the same team, not, not completely, but for the most part, that was in the Super Bowl. So a lot of these guys, I would say, are not having their best seasons, right? And and that's the struggle. Maybe You can make the system how you want to make the system, but if you're not getting the best from your best players, that's going to be a problem in and of itself. So I, I think going to Matt Patricia is, is still the right move, and I think it will pay dividends down the road.
2: Slay wasn't out there, Gene. You're you're missing some pieces on defense still. Is it shifting the right way? Did you see changes you liked Monday night, or was it much of the same for Philly fans?
0: Yeah, it was, it was actually much better. And the reason that we lost the football game is because the cornerback that he has to trust the most on the football field was James Bradbury. He got beat for every catch on that drive. Every single catch that was on that drive was against James Bradbury. That's not – That's not Matt Patricia's fault that you paid James Bradbury $13 million. Like he, that's his number one cornerback on the field. What I really loved by watching that defense on Monday night was Keely Ringo didn't allow one completion. Eli Ricks didn't allow one completion. And Sidney Brown looks more and more like a player every time you watch him play football. I think that their secondary outside of James Bradbury was on top of everything on Monday night football. And the the comment that you made earlier about AJ Brown, or sorry about Nick Sirianni, I, I just wanted to add to that. AJ Brown has gotten into an argument or a fight with a player the last four weeks, hmm. and and the reason that you can't correct him for doing that is because your coach is doing the same damn thing, and he's got like he got a uh, shoving match, a bump, which no one talked about with Seattle, but Big Dom, it was the the end of the world, but. When, when uh, Seattle's security guard, or I think it was like a reserve player, a practice squad player, bumps AJ Brown coming back onto the field, I, I want to see him barred from the sidelines for three weeks.
2: Gentlemen, Rashard Mendenhall is getting a, a lot of a lot of talk uh, the past couple of days, and it, it, it's actually not bad. Um, I, I kind of like the direction the conversation is going in. When I first saw the tweet a day or two ago, I was like, Ooh, I wonder, I wonder how people are going to react to this because I think it could have went either way. And I love how the NFL community is reacting to it. Um, his tweet, and I'm paraphrasing. I don't have it in front of me. It basically was talking about how he needs white people to stop telling him who is good and not good at football. And then he went on to say that the pro Bowl should be team white versus team black uh, so yeah. that the team black can show the white guys, you know what they know about football. But from that this really great conversation has developed amongst NFL circles of what would an all white NFL team look like? And would it have a chance to be competitive against an all black NFL team? And Gene, before you came on the show, I I challenged you with, as I set you up, I told you bring your all white team so we could talk about it. So I'm going to turn the floor over to you. If you were putting together an all white team in 2023, what does it look
0: like? We'd win the football game. Hands down? I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explain to you how we'd win the football uh, game. Like First of all, you let me win. just be clear. Let me be clear when I say this, right? There's way more talent on the all-black side than there will be on the all-white side. However, there's a system and scheme that I've brought together. Like, I'm coaching it. You gave me you're, the coach you're you're coaching goals. it. Yep. This is my system and scheme, and you're not going to stop me. So it doesn't matter, right? So my personnel is very simple. My quarterbacks, I'm I'm carrying two. I'm carrying Josh Allen and Joe Burrow. Uh, Josh Allen would be my starter. I don't think he's better than Joe Burrow, but because I need him to be able to move with his legs and be able to create plays and be able to use that power run game that he has because of my personnel. Now, we're going to play 12 and 13 personnel. That's what we're going to play. We're going to play with fullbacks. We're going to play with ultra ultimate amount of tight ends. We're gonna play big. You're not going to be able to stop us. So our quarterbacks are Allen and Burrow. Our running back is Christian McCaffrey. We're gonna play with two fullbacks that are gonna to play to help Christian McCaffrey. They're probably not gonna play every down, but we're gonna have Kyle Uzchak and Patrick Ricard. Our wide receivers are Cooper Cup and Adam Thielen. And our tight ends we're gonna carry on our roster are Kelsey, who's gonna double as our slot when we need to move to an open set. And we're gonna have George Kittle and TJ Hawkinson. Two of the best blocking tight ends in football. Now, here's where I, I want to ask you a question. When we say all-white team, does Australian count? Does Samoan count? Because I, I, I won't add Jordan Mailata if I'm not allowed to, but I'd love to have him at left tackle. If I can't have him, I'm using Ryan Remscheck. Um, I'll take Landon Dickerson at the left guard. Jason Kelsey, the best center in the league at center the best right guard in football and Zach Martin, the best right tackle in football and Lane Johnson, my offensive line is going to dominate. And with Christian McCaffrey and the best two fullbacks in the league, I'm going to run the football and I'm going to push. And if you press the line, I have the tight ends to be able to stretch you downfield and make you cover and tackle. We are going to be more physical on the offensive side of the ball. No doubt in my mind. Now here's where we're going to struggle. Defensively, we're in trouble, right? We are in trouble. But I'm running. I, I'm not worried about the run. I am not worried about the run at all. You're correct. And I, I, I will get to that. I will feed you, Mo. I will feed you. On my defensive line, I'm running four defensive ends. I'm not playing. I'm not worried about the run. You could try to run the football. I think that our defensive line will be able to stop it. I have Max Crosby, Nick Bosa, Joey Bosa, and TJ Watt. They're going to round out my defensive line. At the linebacker core, I got Matt Milano, one of the fastest linebackers, smart linebackers in the league, and I have Jack Campbell. And the only reason I have Jack, I don't think he's the best, the second best white linebacker, but I think he's perfect to be able to hit the holes that the four guys that are rushing the passer are going to miss. He's a the guy that's going to help me stop the run. I need it. Well, what we're going to run is we're going to run a nickel. Nickel said. We're going to run zone. We're not going to be able to run man. They're going to destroy us. We run man. So what I did is I doubled two wide receivers, not my offensive wide receivers because I don't want to tire these guys out, but I have two wide receivers that I'm going to put in my secondary. So I got Reed Blankenship to Philadelphia Eagles. He's going to be one of our defensive backs. Harrison Smith, both those guys are good safeties in the NFL and they can play the game of football. Riley Moss is the only white cornerback in the NFL currently. So I got to carry him. Riley Moss is going to be a cornerback for me. My two other corners that I'm going to run in zone coverage are going to be Alec Pierce of the Indianapolis Colts. He has the speed to be able to keep up with a lot of guys in the nickel. He plays slot for his team. And I'm running Justin Watson of the Chiefs. Mm. I'm going to be able to use those five guys in the zone coverage with Matt Milano. And I'm going to try to hope that my pass rush gets to the quarterback and can take down the quarterback. I think it's going to be very difficult for us to stop the all-black team. It's not going to happen, right? It's going to be very difficult, but I also think it's going to be more difficult to stop my offense. And if we get bogged down in a field goal situation, I don't know who's kicking the football on the all-black team, but I will say I got Justin Tucker kicking the ball for the all-white team. Uh,
2: does the black team have a punter? not saying they're going to punt the ball, but do they even have one?
0: They had – um. Uh, well, I I, I don't
2: they, I don't know. <laughs> there, there there used to be a, a black punter for uh the Raiders.
0: The Steelers had a great one too. Um there's there's Reggie Roby, uh Reggie Roby for
1: kid. the dolphins was great.
0: Yeah, that's that's in the 80s, but uh Marquette King used to be great back in the day. Yeah, um King there's definitely good. punters, I feel like, uh, that are in the NFL. I know Presley Harvin was one, but I there's definitely punters in the NFL. I just don't know. I mean, do we give them young like
2: way Well, and that's the question. So let, let's let's shift to this, because as, as this conversation was developing across NFL circles, the first question was, well, what is Patrick Mahomes? Does Team yes. White get Patrick Mahomes? And you, you don't need to ask that question because you're not even talking Patrick Mahomes. You're talking Josh Allen, Joe Burrow. So you're good there. The next question was, like you said, well, what about our Polynesian players? Where, where would a two go? Where would you have some good offensive linemen um, that are Polynesian? Where would they go? And then the kicker conversation was, well, Team Black was like, well, we're, we want the kicker from Atlanta. He's not white. So by default, he comes to us, which a that's a valid question. Like, is, is that the premise? If they're not white, they just by default have the opportunity to play on the all-black team? And outside of kicker, I think that's the only position where they would probably have someone who wasn't actually black on that side because they don't
0: have a black kicker. Yeah. I think the problem that when you come across that is I picked an all white team because I, I, um, I, I don't, I wouldn't let Patrick Holmes play anybody that has any mixed. I you're, you're not playing. It's all white team versus all black team. We have our struggles at cornerback. So you want to give me somebody mixed up like cornerback. I'm good with that. I'm not helping you at kicker. We're not good with that. No. <laughs> We have issues at the cornerback position, so I think that it should be oh no, I don't think there should be the mixed races playing for one side or the other. I think that kind of defeats the fun purpose of it. And I do love how this conversation became into a fun conversation. It had the ability to go really the other way. I think Rashad yeah. Mendenhall. That, that's where
1: Yeah, that's where Mendenhall was going.
0: He's an idiot. But yeah, he, that's was not- to, he, was, he was going
1: to the other place. So yeah, I'm glad that it developed into what it's become now, Mo, looking on the other side of
2: the football, who, who would be your quarterback if you were coaching the all-black team? Are you going Lamar? Are you going
1: Hurts? Uh, th- Ooh, that's tough. Man, I you know what? I, I think maybe I'll just, I'll do like Gene and go with two quarterbacks. I'll have Lamar and Hurts. I okay. can't go wrong. And now wide receivers, you have a well, wow, there's, a, there's a plethora, you have a yeah. treasure trove yeah. of yeah. wide receivers. I mean, you can do crazy stuff with Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase. You can do all kinds of stuff. Yeah, I, yeah.
2: But let me ask you this: Are are guys like Stephon Diggs and AJ Brown making your team?
1: No, I don't need because either. once that white no. team starts no, scoring, no, the either. last
2: <laughs> thing you want is your receivers right. yelling at people. <laughs> Right,
1: right. Yeah, I don't. I don't need those guys giving the other team any kind of motivation. So I'm going to pass, even though they're both great players.
2: But uh, like Gene alluded to earlier, that the defense, the secondary on the All Black team, it's you have Sauce out there, Ramsey's going to be out there. You have Slay Mm. out there. I mean, good lord. You, you, that's why we got to run
0: the football. That's why we have to run the football. We have to take advantage of where we have our advantages at, and that's that 13 personnel. Give me Cooper Cup, three tight ends, a fullback. I don't care, dude. We're, we're pounding the football. We got the line. It, it's funny because this conversation reminds me a lot of the one that they had on New Heights. Did you hear about that one? The 55 most athletic um, yes. uh, offensive and defensive linemen versus – the 11 best skill position players who would win in a game. Yep. And like, that's, I think that if I'm being completely honest, I would have to believe in my team to win, but it, we would not be able to stop the all black team. It would just Tyreek Hill, Justin Jefferson, Jamar chase, Lamar Jackson running around and giving him time to run into an open spot. I don't know what to do there. Gene,
1: that's crazy. We- that Tyreek could actually end up being like your slot receiver. Right, right, you know what I mean? That's crazy, Gene. Before we let
2: you go, uh, we, we got to touch on Aaron Rodgers. So, Aaron Rodgers on the, was on the uh, Pat McAfee show, as he is every week, and he's done something that Aaron's kind of done a couple of times this season. He's allowed a narrative to build, and then once you think the narrative's going one way, he speaks about it and he brings it back the other way. So there were people within the New York Jets organization saying Aaron wants to play. Um, Aaron's hoping he has a chance to play. And it looked like, you know, he was kind of fighting inwardly to have a chance to play this season. Then the Jets lose to the Dolphins. They're mathematically eliminated. Even though they have a, a fairly easy stretch coming up on their schedule, as far as talent-wise that they're playing against, it, it lined up to if you're the owner of the Jets, Let's put Aaron out there if he's cleared because he's probably going to win those games. And if you win your last two games and Aaron looks great, what a jumping off point next season. What a great way to, to walk out of here and say, man, if we had him all season, look what he did in those two games. You know, 700 yards passing, six touchdowns, no interceptions, back-to-back wins. But Aaron goes on the Pat McAfee show and he doesn't – He he almost protects everybody, right? He doesn't really let you know, did he actually want to play? Would they have played him? Um, you don't know because he says, guys, come on. I can't be healed in 14 weeks. If I had another three weeks, yeah, probably. I'm, I'm close. I'm just not there yet. If If we were in the playoffs, you know, probably. But 14 weeks for me to actually play, it's just a ridiculous timeline. That stuff doesn't happen in the NFL. So he takes that route, Gene, and you walk away from it going, oh, he, w- he was never going to play. Do you believe that? Do you no. believe he was never going to play?
0: Absolutely not. I think that he painted the narrative all year that if they were close to being in the playoffs or they had an opportunity to get to the playoffs, he would make every attempt to come back during the season. The moment that they got eliminated, the moment the speeches and the conversation turned a different direction. And you said – it would be a good springboard for the Jets if they came back and he threw for seven hundred yards and they won both games. Well, let me give you the adverse effect. What if he came back, Rusty looked bad. Uh, the offensive line, which is in shambles, and he get—I wouldn't say gets hurt again, but uh, gets beat up, doesn't look good. They might fire Robert Sala.
2: That's true. They might
0: put a situation in where they fire Nathaniel Hackett. They might. I. There's a lot of things that could happen and I wouldn't risk it over two games. I would head into next year fully recovered. I would sh- take this entire off season to shore up that offensive line. So when Aaron Rodgers comes back and it's your one shot, right? It's like eight mile. They got one moment. It's next year. This is what they have. And I, I think that they should really load up for next year and, and make sure he's completely healthy. Make sure that line is there and, and be ready to start the season. Are you
2: keeping the Aaron Rodgers uh, friends and family plan? Or are we jettisoning off some of those pieces, uh, Lazard, Cobb, Nat Hackett, and hoping we can get other, maybe more competent, more productive pieces in there? Or is Aaron still GM?
0: You're not losing, you're not losing Hackett. Hackett's the reason that they got Rodgers to begin with. Um, the other pieces, yeah, you could probably lose them. I think that Randall Cobb and you know, I he's a ghost, right? Like, he has not played great, Alan Lazard. I think you can go out and get him a bona fide number two receiver this off season. Um, so he has Garrett Wilson and someone. A lot of talks about Devonte Adams wanting to go there. I don't think the Jets can afford him. If I'm being completely honest, right. but um, I think that the main goal this off season isn't the friends and family plan. It's to make sure that offensive line. And listen, you can go bring a friends and family plan. Go out and get David Bakhtiari. He wants <laughs> to go play with Aaron, but like the main goal has to be to keep Aaron upright next year and the offense will be fine. We look at Peyton Manning throughout his entire career and we talk about his offensive coordinator. Well, Adam Gase did this and -and so-and-so did that. We don't realize what really was happening. Peyton Manning was the offensive coordinator. Aaron Rodgers is good enough and knows enough on a football field to be the offensive coordinator. Nathaniel Hackett is just a figurehead it's a guy that he likes to work with and run things off of. That's why it works. Nathaniel Hackett's not a good offense coordinator for Zach Wilson or Trevor Simeon or anyone for that matter. But he's great for a guy that doesn't need an offensive coordinator.
2: Mo, if you're the Jets, are you spending big money on a backup quarterback for next season? We don't think Zach Wilson's going to be there. Or maybe, maybe you want Zach Wilson there. I don't know. But you looked at what happened this year with Aaron. Plan B wasn't great, and this was the result of it. You look at what's happening in the NFL. Look at the Bengals, lost Joe Burrow. It looks like they could be going to the playoffs. The Browns are on their fourth quarterback. They pulled Joe Flacco off his couch. They could be going to the playoffs. The Steelers are still in the playoff race. They're about to be on their third quarterback. The Texans are winning games without C.J. Stroud. The Colts have Gardner Minshew leading them throughout this season. He is considered by most to be a career backup quarterback. You have all these backups who are finding success with, I would argue pieces on defense and entire defenses that are far less than the New York jets. I'm granted the jets have no offensive line and they have very limited weapons on the offensive side of the ball. So I get that it's not an apples to apples comparison, but when you look across the league Mo and you're seeing all these backups have success and have their teams in playoff conversations and you look at the Jets and you're saying, hope they score a touchdown this week. Hope they can put 10 points on the board. <laughs> like that's not a good look. So do you think they're going to spend on the backup position to have a security blanket in case Rodgers gets hurt, gets hurt again, or are they just going to roll the dice and it's it's Rodgers or nothing?
1: No, to G's point, uh, the offseason has to be offensive line, offensive line, offensive line. It's got to be all about the offensive line. And yes, even with that said, you have to go out and get a competent backup quarterback. You you have to have some guy that if Aaron could go down, maybe it's just for a couple of games, that can hold the fort down. I think it's important. Um, More so than this season, everything you just named, that you just ran off, is proof that the backup quarterback, who you have there, actually matters and impacts your football team.
2: Gene, do you buy into the narrative – that if you look across at all the backups, and I think maybe the only real exception might be Locke right now in Seattle, but they just lost four games, so I don't even really count their one game as you know proof to go against this. But it's again, it's that same narrative. Defensive coaches are struggling in today's NFL. If you look at what defensive coaches are doing with backup quarterbacks, it's not it's not better, it's getting worse. A lot of these successful backup quarterbacks. Have offensive coaches. Sala is a defensive guy. Is that hurting the Jets when Rodgers isn't there? Because obviously, when Rodgers is there, he's doing his thing, like you just said. Rodgers is going to go out there, and if something's called that he doesn't like, he's not going to run it. That's that he's earned that right. When you put a backup quarterback in there, is it the defensive side of it, like we're seeing with Tomlin and Pittsburgh a little bit, and some of these other situations? Or is it just simply talent? And Zach Wilson's not it.
0: No, it's it's a hundred percent the philosophy of the team. It's not like the coach itself because he's not running the offensive playbook if he's a defensive coach. But it's the philosophy. We want to run the ball. We want to control the clock. We don't want to uh, turn the football over. We want to allow our. We don't want to lose the game on offense. That's the philosophy a defensive coach is is bringing towards the game. And I, I think that. The biggest issue that you're running across in the league is you have to try to score points. You can't try to, uh oh, we, we we don't want to lose the game on offense. You got to win the game on offense. I, and I think that a lot of these defensive head coaches think they can win the game on defense when defense doesn't score the points. I mean, very rarely. Um, and then you mentioned the backup quarterback situation. There's a perfect fit for a backup quarterback for the New York Jets that's out there, that's capable, and that's cheap. You don't have to spend any money. You get his Pfizer buddy. I'm kidding. But this vaccine buddy, Carson Wentz, would be a perfect backup in that situation for every scenario, right? He would have a mentor in which he trusts and which he idolized when he was growing up in Aaron Rodgers. He'd be able to work behind him and develop. You might be able to have a quarterback of the future if he develops and fixes his mentality behind Aaron Rodgers. And you have a guy that's very capable of running an Aaron Rodgers-style offense. Carson Wentz is mobile, just like Aaron Rodgers. Carson Wentz has a big arm, just like Aaron Rodgers. Now, obviously, he's nowhere near as good at accuracy and decision-making as Rodgers. But it doesn't change your scheme much to be able to, if Aaron Rodgers misses a game or something happens, to be able to throw Carson Wentz in the ball game, I think that's the perfect, perfect backup for that scenario i don't know why the jets didn't i think i know why the jets didn't go after it this year and it's because of carson wentz being the worst possible the decision maker ever by hiring someone like john gruden to help work him out
2: uh, wait, so gene just to clarify it's not because of how he dresses or it's not because of how he does his hair or anything <laughs> like that yeah. right? right that's that's not I mean, I'm I'm just, I'm, just, I'm asking for a friend. Asking for a friend. <laughs> right.
0: No, I think it's because he's a terrible decision maker. And Got when you it, okay. hire a guy who sends emails out um to the NFL oh, and right. makes comments and racist comments and you hire that guy to train you to be a better football player, it's not going to A lot of guys in the NFL have not forgiven John Gruden for what he said. Mm-hmm. I'm being one of them, not in the NFL, but I think that his decision making processes is not good, and it shows that on the football field and um, off the field, unfortunately.
2: Gene, we appreciate having you on every Wednesday, sir. What's going on with wire to wire this week?
0: Uh, tonight we're going to talk about some of the situations that are happening in football, but we got a lot more tonight. We got NFL, we got NC- we got the bowl game, bowl is in full effect. Um, we have a US UFC recap. And we're going to talk about our favorite Christmas, like our, our perfect Christmas gift of a sports day, like mm-hmm. one o'clock Eagles, Cowboys, four o'clock, you have a UFC card over in Dubai. And then eight o'clock, you have an NBA matchup of Lakers oh, Celtics, whatever your perfect like day is. That's what we're going to discuss tonight.
2: All right. Looking forward to that, Gene. Thank you so much for being here. Appreciate we'll you, next you, Gene. Week, sir. Thank you, guys. Mo, before we get out of here today, I wanted to transition to this. Micah Parsons, who we talk about more than I think we probably should talk about here on the show. Uh, But he was upset. He was upset again because, again, again, I know. he, He feels that the Cowboys are just not being treated fairly. He feels like the media was all over them after their loss to the Buffalo Bills and that the energy wasn't quite the same for the Eagles who lost a few days later to what some would describe as a lesser team in the Seattle Seahawks. And that's kind of been his, his trend, right? This season where he just feels like no one treats the Cowboys the same way. And then, Mo, I want to expand the, the, the conversation a little bit because I would almost say that, you know, Micah's acting like a fan because you hear that from Cowboy fans a lot. We're not treated the same way. You know, it's not fair to us. And then we shift that conversation. We're we're, we're jumping around here. We shift that conversation to Baltimore Ravens fans. And that's where I want to end up this morning. Baltimore Ravens fans are upset, Mo, because they're not being talked about enough. They're the number one seed in the AFC right now, and no one's talking about them, Mo. Who cares? If you are the number one seed in the AFC, Mo, shouldn't that, isn't that all the players care about? Do you really care that you're not the, the, the lead story on first take or you're not the lead story on who cares? Mo, I would argue there's six or seven better stories in the AFC right now, right? Sports is a competition, but sports media is an entertainment business. And they are here to entertain. And the best way to entertain is with stories. I can't think of an interesting angle to even talk about the Baltimore Ravens with right now, except for maybe Lamar has himself in the MVP conversation, which depending on what happens against the 49ers this weekend, we might be talking about that. But if you look at the other teams around him in the AFC, you have Tyreek trying to go for 2,000 yards, first time ever as a wide receiver. You have the entire situation in the AFC South. Jacksonville is falling back into the clutches of two other teams who don't have their starting quarterbacks in Houston and Indianapolis. Indianapolis might have the coach of the year on their team with Gardner Minshew trying to lead them to a division title. That's crazy. The Bengals lost Joe Burrow a month ago. We said they were done. Oh, I'm sorry. It- the Bengals are still competing for a playoff spot right now because of Mini Joe. Right, you got Mini Joe doing his thing. Now the Buffalo Bills appear to be back from the dead, and nobody wants to see them in the playoffs. Oh, but they're the ninth seed right now. Who knows if they even make the playoffs? But if they do, imagine how scary they're going to be. The Cleveland Browns are on their fourth quarterback. Joe Flacco has come back from the dead to lead this team.
1: To Another, a great spot. Another great story. Another great
2: story. So, mo, this is why we're not talking about the Ravens. If I'm a Ravens fan, great. Don't talk about me. Let us do our thing and because here's my opinion. If the Ravens keep winning, you're eventually going to talk about them.
1: Right? And and look, I think you and I do talk about them. We acknowledge that we thought the path to the Super Bowl in the AFC is going to go either through Baltimore or Miami. We've said that. That's what we believe. And at the same time, we also said, and maybe this is where Ravens fans are getting upset, we don't think there's a dominant team in the AFC. Um, I, I think seeding matters even more so in the AFC. And I respect everything the Ravens have done. They are a good football team. But like you said, the story of the Ravens, it, there is no story. They are they're pretty much who they were the last few years when Lamar has played, right? We we know their formula, we know their offense, we know who their best player is. They need to win out. Like you said, if you just keep winning, what you do on the field will speak volumes. That'll be that'll be your story. That'll be the, the Ravens have the number one seed, um, and the road to the Super Bowl goes through the Ravens. That can be your story. And if Lamar balls out and they beat the 49ers this weekend, suddenly Lamar Jackson very much in the MVP conversation, and it will be well-deserved. That can be your story. On the flip side, if you lose to the Niners, that could be another story. It That's, that's kind of how it works. But like you said, look at the AFC. There are so many more interesting stories in the AFC right now. Tyreek Hill is on the verge of making history. That's notable. He, it, it, he will be one of one. If and when he makes this accomplishment, you have to acknowledge that, that that's a great story. Joe Flacco was on his couch. That's a great story. Mini Joe, when I thought the Bengals were done, he looks like a smaller version of Joe Burrow right now getting it done. That's a great story.
2: And I get it. Like, And my, my, my other side of this, Mo, is who do we talk about all the time? Who is the most talked about franchise in sports media? Ah, oh, those Cowboys. Those Cowboys. And it's great when they're winning. But what happens when Dallas loses a game? They get picked apart. They get talked about. And is that what you want, Baltimore? Because if you're talked about all the time, eventually we run out of nice things to say about you. So we <laughs> right. have to start critiquing you. Is that what you want? Do you want to talk about how... Yeah, the Ravens won this past week, but Lamar didn't look great. He had a turnover, and his arm isn't what really led them to that game. And Jacksonville left a bunch of points on the table. And if Jacksonville was just a more competent football team in that game, they might have won the Is that what you
1: want to talk about? That's not what you want to talk about. I would not want any of that DAC action, not the negative DAC action. Uh, You know what? The, The Ravens are having a great football season. Rest on your laurels. What you do in the field, don't worry about getting all the attention. The Cowboys have all the attention in the world, and right now, Micah Parsons is talking because he doesn't want the attention that they're he getting. He don't want right it. He doesn't, he doesn't want, doesn't it, at want all. it Right. He doesn't want when they, when they lose, and it's, that that's what comes when you're when you're a high profile football team. When they lose, the spotlight's on you for your losses too, and he doesn't want that smoke. Mo,
2: before we get out of here, is Ritter going to be the quarterback in Atlanta next season?
1: He is not. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know who is, but I can tell you who's not going to be the quarterback. It won't be Ritter. I feel like Ritter is basically the NFC version of uh, who am I trying to say? Zach Wilson? Yes, I, uh, he I is. think he is the NFC version of Zach Wilson. And, and 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 this is not to denigrate either one of those young men. They will be in the NFL next year, but they will not be on their current football teams. Mo, closes out, sir. Hey, I appreciate everybody in the chat. Thank you so much for the love and participation. Thanks to everybody that's listening to us right now. And for all those that will listen to us later, check out all the great content that we have to offer on Sports Empire Network. Check out the Empire.
2: Make sure you're tuning in live to Wire to Wire tonight. That sounds like that's going to be a great show over there. And make sure you are back here with us tomorrow morning, same time, same place. We're going to break down Thursday Night Football. Uh, make our picks for that. We're going to be talking about playoff seating and what that looks like, plus so much more. Right here, tomorrow morning, Coffee and Sports, it's the morning show, and we will see you in the morning.
0: I mean, you can see right now, without LeBron, Lakers are, are struggling. Let me tell you about a team I hate, all right? I know the Dallas Cowboys fan is here, so I had to make sure he knew how much I hate this Oh, story. I'm ready. I've often said that the people who run baseball, they try
2: very hard to ruin it. I'm from Brooklyn. I don't have a problem saying it to his face.
0: Oh, from Brooklyn! Hey, isn't he?